Welcome to the SaaS Sales Performance Podcast, the show for anyone wanting to be on the cutting edge of SaaS tech sales. We provide the tools you need to take advantage of the rapidly changing sales environment. We bring you the leading experts on the front lines of SaaS sales and distill down our famous masterclasses into bite-sized practical tips. Your hosts will be Ash Ali and Matt Milligan. And on this podcast, we'll be helping you transform your ability to sell more so you can smash your targets. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the SaaS Sales Performance Podcast. Now, on this show, we've had enablement and revenue leaders from some of the fastest growing SaaS businesses in history. And I think today's guest has been leading enablement at one of those. The organization that today's guest is leading a team at is none other than than Zoom. Now, you know, everyone knows the growth journey that Zoom has been on during this pre and post pandemic period. But today's guest has got a a really visionary outlook on where enablement is headed, is doing some incredibly exciting experimentation and delivery. Some of the ideas that we've just discussed pre-show are super exciting for me personally. So I'm fired up before we even got on air. Today's guest is none other than Michelle Dodson. Michelle is Head of Go-To-Market Enablement and Strategy at Zoom. Michelle, great to have you on the show. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I am excited. I will say that enablement on the West Coast when you have a small child is always exciting, but we're, we're ready. I'm ready and just really excited to talk to you today. Amazing. There's so much that I'm sure we're going to cover in today's conversation, Michelle. The question that I always like to ask guests when they come on, particularly enablement leaders, is the journeys into enablement tend to be so varied. I always love to ask, you know, what has your journey into enablement been and how did you get here? So you're right. And my story makes absolutely no sense. My journey makes no sense. I am first generation. So my parents are from the Middle East and my dad came here and had his own business. So I was 12 years old, helping him run his business, running his QuickBooks, was doing all of his training for his new employees. And so I got my first taste of how do I support a business very young helping my father. Then I had to pay for college. So obviously, what does every 18-year-old girl do? She goes and she sells cars because that makes sense. I had no idea about cars. I had no idea how to sell a car, but I was the top saleswoman for the entire time that I worked there because I learned very quickly, you don't necessarily need to know everything about something. You just need to be able to help people feel like they're making the right decision. I happened to sell a car to a CEO in the Bay Area. He said, you're way too good at this. Leave the lot and come work for me and be a BDR. So that was my first entry into the tech world was I sold this man a Toyota Highlander and he was so impressed that he decided that he wanted me to work for him. So from there, I worked my way up. I was a BDR, I was an account manager, but somehow I was always in every company in every role that I was in. You know, Michelle, can you help onboard your peers? Can you help train other people? I would be tinkering around and I'd start building reports and dashboards. And I would always somehow find a way to bring maybe a different viewpoint into my role. And then from sales, I went into sales operations, which is where the majority of my career has been. So 
that was really helping run global sales schemes through sales operations. So traditional sales operations with territory plans and compensation and quota and you name it. I've done it from a sales operations perspective. And I love data. I love looking at data and using it to make really strong, sound decisions. I was always managing enablement. So in my operations role, I would have somebody who would lead the enablement piece. There was, a, I guess, a transition point in my career where I said, maybe I could do that and maybe I can do it differently. And so I, I've been in the enablement field now for about six years. And like I said, I don't think you start out thinking if I sell cars, I'll be the head of go-to-market enablement one day. But that is kind of the wild journey that I, I've been on for my entire career. Amazing. And what a great journey. It's always interesting, you know, hearing how you had enablement kind of feeding into you as, as the sales ops function. I'm always curious to understand the perspectives of, you know, like where enablement should sit in the organization, because we see a lot of variation still in the industry. What's your experience been in terms of, you know, reporting lines and how to optimize enablement in terms of where it should should sit? So I have sat in many different departments. I've been in learning and development. I've been in directly to the sales leadership team. Currently, I report into the head of ops and enablement who reports into our CRO. I think the best place for a traditional enablement team is within the selling organization. It's really hard when you don't have those close relationships with the leaders that you're supporting. So I've supported not just sellers, but customer success and the channel and our technical teams and external partners. So typically those are all revenue generating teams. And you want to be able to sit in the organization where you can support them directly. So I think from an alignment perspective, I don't really care if I'm on the sales operations team, because I'm still supporting those sales leaders and then their teams, respectively. I think that's where you find enablement to be most successful. In a smaller company, I would say alignment with that you know, head of sales or a CRO, maybe at a smaller company. But just revenue generating department is, I think, where enablement typically finds the most key partnerships and success. Yeah. I guess one factor that, that can also influence that is the size of the organization. And obviously, yeah. you know, moving on to, to Zoom, I guess, you know, the way that you enable perhaps as an earlier stage fast growth company with, say, 25 sellers, that looks very different to the way that you enable an yeah. organization like Zoom with well over a thousand sellers. So you're absolutely right. At one point, I, I ran operations and enablement for a company, and the entire selling organization was 200 people. That included your SEs and your CS. And so it was a very small startup feel. The types of programs that I created there were really around like, what does somebody need to know to do their job and how do they work cohesively with their peers? So it's not any easier than what we do today at Zoom, where there are thousands of people that we're supporting on a daily basis. The only difference is I think you can get from an enablement perspective when you have less sellers and less people to support you can almost get a little bit deeper sometimes into how technical a product is or functionality or maybe positioning. I, I had the time, I felt like, to do really high quality programs that I could tell, are they working? Are they not working faster than I can now today? At, both at Zoom and I came from Palo Alto Network, 
where when you're supporting thousands of people, sometimes you can't see the needle moving as quickly than when you're maybe in a startup environment. I think when you're supporting larger numbers of people, your delivery, the programs you create, how people can find them, that has to change. No longer can somebody just send me a chat and say, Michelle, where do I find this? How do I do this? I don't actually get any of those questions anymore. So I have to make things super easy to find, super relatable, and really focus on training our managers because that's an extension of our enablement team. So all of our revenue managers, our sales managers, our CS managers, those are our colleagues. They're in the field with us. We're launching programs. They're helping us deliver it to their teams because there's only 40 of us and there's thousands of people that we're supporting every single day. So the the span of control kind of changes when you're within a smaller startup versus maybe a larger enterprise running bigger enablement programs. Yeah, it's super interesting. I can't help thinking about, there's a great book that Reid Hoffman wrote where he talks about the evolution of a company and he talks about the different sizes and stages. You know, you kind of start out in the early days, you, you're kind of like a small village, you know, as you start to scale and, and go through that journey that like Zoom has evidently been on the past couple of years, you grow from being a village into kind of like a town, you know, then, yeah. then all you know, you're a city and then all of a sudden you're like this, this whole nation or region. Right. And the personnel requirements change as you grow. And then also your leadership style has to has to adapt. That is extremely accurate. I will say that I find more fulfillment in the smaller size companies. You have more of a one-on-one relationship with the people that you're supporting. When there's only 200 sellers and you help 80% of them get to champion circle or president's club, you can feel the sense of joy. And I love watching people win. I love helping people win. And so I would just have this sense of pride. But now if I'm supporting 5,000 people, it's definitely different. I don't even know the people that I'm supporting. I'm just hoping that I helped you, right? And I don't know the direct impact maybe that I made or my team made to your success, but you're exactly right. It goes from feeling like a very small, tight-knit family to almost a whole nation of we're all working together and we're all helping each other and everyone's in harmony but I might not necessarily feel that same fulfillment or purpose at that level in a larger company. Yeah, it's super interesting. And it feels really similar in many ways to how, you know, a founder CEO will think about not only the team, but also the customers. And Mm -hmm. and I guess ultimately, you know, the end customer of an enablement team is in effect the, the salesperson. Trying to stay close to your end customer, I imagine gets harder and harder as you, as you scale. It does. And I I agree with you. And I would challenge that the end customer for me is still the customer because it's my job to support the seller, but everything I do to support them is to, to really enhance that customer experience. My customer is still a Zoom customer. My customer has always been the customer. A seller's relationship with a customer is essentially like the value of my work. Is it working? Is what I've taught them relevant? Can they explain the product? Can they have a really great meeting with a customer? Are they providing value, right? Like that still matters. I might be supporting the seller, but at the end of the day, if our customers and prospects are not having a good experience, I'm the one that's responsible for making those shifts in the programs that we're delivering. Yeah, I I love it. And almost a... A responsibility, it sounds, for the buying experience. 
So I'll tell you a funny story. I went to Zoom and my husband owns a small business. And at the time he was a competitor's customer. And I was really, I'm like, listen, babe, we've been together 20 years, but I feel like I'm a little bit embarrassed. You're not a Zoom customer. I'm going to need you to at least evaluate them. Like I can't run enablement and my husband's using a competitor, right? So for me, I got to watch early on how our sellers were interacting with a prospect through this evaluation that my husband did. It was super hard for me because it was the beginning of COVID. We're sharing an office. He's hearing me talk all day. I'm hearing him going through the demos and the conversations with our sellers. But it was so eye-opening for me of that buyer journey And I immediately put together a plan. I was like, here's where we're good. Here's where we need help. Here's messaging that we need to use. But having that level of insight, seeing maybe where he got frustrated or where he was confused was so helpful in creation of programs. And that's just to say, I feel like in enablement, we don't always think about the customer. I think we're so quick to get guidance from the sales leaders. We're so quick to partner with our marketing teams and we get... Oh, I hope the sellers like it. But if it doesn't land, if your customers are confused, if that buying process still doesn't feel right, did I really do my job, right? And so for me, it was it was validation a little bit and I was building the right kinds of programs. And it was really good to see later, I was listening to calls. I was joining calls with our sellers to see how the programs we built help shift maybe some of that buyer experience. I really take pride in what my team does for that customer journey. I love that story, fixing the root cause rather than just kind of papering over the cracks. Michelle, you mentioned something else there that was really interesting in terms of the work that you do with leadership. And, you know, obviously, as you've built out enablement at Zoom, you know, because this is the theme that comes up a lot with clients is, How do enablement work in unison with sales leadership? And how do you kind of work as an extension of sales leadership? And how do you get sales leadership to work as an extension of enablement? It's a real challenge for enablement leaders across the globe that I speak to every day. So I'd love to kind of dive into that topic and hear your thoughts around what you've seen work well. So there's two things here. One is anytime I interview for a company, I have to talk to the sales leadership team. I think it's something that you have to find the right fit. If I don't know the leaders, if I don't trust in the leaders myself, it's going to be really hard for me to lead a team that maybe we don't align with the leadership. I think it's an important piece when you are looking for an enablement role that you fully are bought into the leadership style, the culture, and just have a good connection with those leaders. So I have been extremely blessed in my career where I've worked for a handful of leaders where I would follow them anywhere and I have great relationships with them. And it's been really important for me to foster those relationships with the leadership team. The challenge is, I want to hear you out, leader. I want to understand what's the challenge. I want to understand where do you want to get better? I want to understand what are you seeing in the field that's not working or working? What I don't want you to do is tell me what to build. Because the problem that they might see, I want to go validate with data. I want to go pull data and say, you're right, leader. This is exactly what we're seeing. People are only selling one product versus multi-product. We're losing at this stage. Where Whatever that data point is, I want to be able to validate your concern and bring you a solution. 
because the leaders that we have are really good at selling, but they don't necessarily understand adult learning theory and how to actually bring together a curriculum. Like they don't understand the, the tactics of providing true training and enablement. They really know how to sell. So I think a part of it is learning how to balance being a, a place for your leaders where they can share challenges and then coming to them and giving them, this is what I think can be a solution. And then ex- you, you, know, you have to execute when it comes to sales leaders. You always got to do what you say and say what you're going to do and then end up doing it really well. Like you, you only get one chance with leaders in most companies. The second piece is, I come down a layer from like the head of sales and I really start to focus on the managers, especially when you talk about scale, right? We were talking about 200 people. I can scale that anything overnight with 200 people. When I'm talking about scaling a program to thousands of people, I have to prepare our managers first. I have to train the managers, not only on this is what we need your reps to do. This is the expectation of your reps. This is my expectation of you as the manager to coach through this change or a new product or a new process. So that's a lot of prep that has to happen before you even launch and start training your field and the sellers and whoever you're supporting. I'm really lucky that we have an amazing field enablement team here at Zoom. And they are the right hand of that segment leader or those managers. We have sales up business partners and they're the left hand. And we we see a trio that works really well. It is data, it is the leader of a team, and it is that enablement field enablement person. And they are a pod and they are listening to each other and they are launching together and they are getting accountability for their teams and they are seeing adoption when we work at that manager level and have a really strategic plan for delivering and ensuring that things are going well in the field. What do you do in the instances where you just get real initial pushback? Because we hear this a lot, right? Maybe 60, 70% of the leadership team are like, yeah, this is great. Can't wait to get started. And then there's maybe 30% that are like, no. I think if you get a unanimous 100% yes, something's wrong. I've never been in a situation where everybody wanted it, saw the value, thought it was the right plan. And I think that the people who say no are just as valuable because I want to understand why are you hesitant? What do you think is not working? Why is this not something you're buying into? Because maybe those are challenges that I'm going to run into and they can almost help me with my plan and make sure that we're even more successful. Now, how do you get buy-in? How do you manage the no is a style. So I love a challenge. I don't back down from a challenge. I also, I want to do the right thing, even if it's hard. But if I know I'm right and I know I'm confident, here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do. Here's the four things I know you're not going to like, but this is how I'm going to address them. And along the way, I'm going to make sure that you're okay with the plan. And so the people who give you the no include them. And the people who give you a no tend to be sometimes the biggest champions when you're done. And so I think that that's what I meant by execution at a high quality. Like it is hard. I'm not going to sugarcoat that trying to guess how to sell in this environment when I'm not a seller, it's hard. Trying to design programs for thousands of people, let's just say half of which don't want it. It's really hard, but I got to bring the right team. I got to be transparent and I need to show people that we're moving in the right direction. You typically see buy-in in that way. If they feel included, if they feel heard, if they feel like you genuinely want to help their teams, I think leaders typically will give you that buy-in that you're looking for. 
It's great to hear. Let's look ahead now and think about wh- where do we go from here, Michelle? Obviously, you and I are recording this in Jan 2023 for those listening in the future. Maybe in five years' time, I'll send you this episode back again, Michelle, and we can see how accurate our predictions were. Where does enablement go from here as we enter this new year? And what does the future hold? Here's where I think we're headed. I think that enablement and learning, they have to shift because buying and selling have changed. And so the programs that are tried and true, the frameworks that we all know, the methodologies that we've all launched, that worked for a very long time. And because buying and selling has changed, all of these things I think are going to evolve. So where I think we're headed is just a period of transformation. There's new methodologies that are going to come out. There are new frameworks that are going to come out. There are new science-based, like based on the chemistry of a buyer's brain, how can I sell to them? I think we have to take into consideration you may never have sellers in the same room with a customer again. Customers may want to buy only through online channels and never through a salesperson again. How are you going to adjust that, right? How are you going to train people to handle those conversations? The other thing that I think is changing is our attention spans, just as humans with everything going on, it is really hard to make people sit through a full day workshop, a four hour training. God forbid you got to do the annual HIPAA and security trainings. You're just clicking. Are you really learning? And so I think enablement has to shift and become a leader in creating these like micro series. I never thought I would be in the like Netflix episode building business, but I feel like that's kind of how it's shifting is we're creating series. We're creating small bits of information. We're creating something that is entertaining that people want to watch that they can watch on their TV, that they're not, you know, sitting behind their laptop only. The other thing I think is that enablement is going to rely heavily on machine learning, AI, virtual learning. I think all of those things, if you're not thinking about it, now you're behind. And so using conversational intelligence, using AI, using different tools that can help you localize instantly, using avatars, creating complete virtual immersion training. If you don't start to make that shift, if you don't start to think futuristically, I think you're going to lose a big portion of the population that you're supporting. I just saw something where they said the Jetsons cartoon predicted the future. They had like Zoom meetings and essentially was years ago predicting how modern we would be today. And for me, I think it's the same with enablement. We have to think futuristically. We have to think about how people want to learn in the next five years. And we need to start heading in that direction. So three themes in terms of predictions that I've heard there. One is just around like the inevitable reasons for change, buying, the way that we sell, the way that we buy is completely changed. We have to evolve in response to that. And, you know, we're already starting to see, you know, the rise of product-led growth. And obviously Zoom's probably a better example than any in terms of how to get that viral flywheel spinning. The second kind of theme, therefore, is almost the neurology. Like our brains have changed our attention spans. We've got the TikTok generation and particularly salespeople, right? We tend to have particularly short attention spans with our our personality types and behaviors. 
as theme two, and then the third one, machine learning, AI, disruptive technologies, how are we thinking about implementing these in our enablement programs? Exactly. That's it. For the content one, you know, you talked there about like series. I wonder whether within the next five years, are we going to start to see like Netflix style content producers moving into enablement roles? I don't want to give away my secret sauce. (laughs) However, I will say that, yes, that's going to happen. Again, I am probably one of the most blessed, luckiest leaders on the planet to have a team where we hired people with musical concert backgrounds. We hired teachers. We hired people who designed podcasts and episodes. That was critical in the hiring process. I wasn't looking for enablement experience. I could teach that. What I was looking for was the people who could take us to the next level. And I don't have that background. I don't know how to design a seven-minute series, condense everything down, make it super engaging. I could tell you the points that I want to get across, right? So yes, I think that the skill of enablement isn't just, I used to sell and I used to sell really well. You now have to have an extremely well-rounded team that matches where we're all going. Yeah, makes complete sense. And I'm excited to, to see where things head. I mean, obviously, we've had the past two months, the kind of frenzy around chat GPT. And I think that's been a great way for the kind of mass consumer to start to experience where AI is headed. But it, it feels like enablement is massive opportunity for us to really push the boundaries and obviously we at UHubs are doing a lot of work to try to advance that as well. All I would say is the worst thing your leaders can tell you is no. Like think outside the box. Be the person who comes up with a crazy idea. Sometimes they land and sometimes it takes time. I've been in companies where maybe I was a little too modern, but I still have that little flavor of fine. I'll stay within the box, but I'm going to try one new thing every time. And I'm going to try to get them to be a little bit more futuristic. Just try. The worst thing that they say is no. And like it, when you get that yes and you can show the value, it changes for you in that organization forever. Yeah. And shoot for the stars and we're going to land on the moon, right? Oh, that's literally what I have on my desk. It says shoot for the moon and it's a little star. So yes, I agree with that 100%. Amazing. Michelle, I've got so much value from this conversation today. And I'm sure all of the listeners around the world, enablement professionals, revenue leaders, individual contributors will have done so too. For those listening to this who would, you know, love to follow you, follow your content, connect with you and continue to learn from you, where's the best place for them to do that? Unfortunately, I'm not on TikTok, so (laughs) not there. On LinkedIn, send me a message. I'm happy to connect. I'm always looking for new ways to do things and, you know, peers in the industry. So LinkedIn is the best place to find me. Amazing. Michelle, looking forward to continuing the conversation very soon. Thanks for joining me on the show today and all the best for 2023. Thank you so much for having me. It's been so fun. By uncovering blind spots on performance, motivation, and skills, UHubs helps busy sales leaders at top SaaS companies to optimize their sales enablements so that they can develop reps and grow revenue. The UHubs Pulse platform visualizes each team's development needs personalized upskilling, and provides data-driven coaching recommendations. These save sales managers 40 plus hours per quarter and help reps to ramp up 30% faster. Supercharge your sales team by booking a demo today.